Today on City Cash Chicago, joining me in the building is City Bureau's Alejandra Consino and reporter Maria Ines Zamudio, who just left WBEZ for the Center for Public Integrity. We're talking about their neighborhoods, key stories from the week, and of course, some good news. It's Friday, August 18th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is City Cash Chicago. Good morning, Alejandra. Good morning, Maria. How are y'all feeling today? Morning. Good morning. We're feeling good. I'm excited today because yesterday we did this cool neighborhood guide. Our producer, Simone Alisea, lives up in Uptown, and I didn't haven't spent a lot of time on the far north side. So I went up to her neighborhood and learned about a couple cool things to do. Uh, and this is a series that I'm just like jazzed to continue over the next few weeks and months. Uh, so I want to ask people who come on the show the neighborhood they live in and what's something they love to do in it. Alejandra, what's your neighborhood and, and what's your go to? So I live in McKinley Park, is in the city's um, southwest side, is actually the geographic center of the city, which I always like to tout. Um, mm. But the park itself is one of um, our pride and joy in the neighborhood. So I do a lot of walking in the park. I have a community garden um, that is maybe a little bit less than a mile from where I live. And that's essentially where I walk to every almost every day. Oh, that is lovely. I mean, the city is overflowing with great parks from the, the smallest ones in our neighborhoods to the to the big grand ones that you got to spend hours in. Maria, what's your neighborhood and what's your thing you love to do? So I live in Pilsen, so there's a lot of really cool stuff to do in Pilsen. And I'll actually talk about one of the things um, during our news, uh, good news section. But uh, for this mm -hmm. instance, I actually want to highlight a community group. It's called um, Casa Cultural 18, and they, t they have these community workshops in which they teach you how to play the harana. So it's an instrument, it's like a little like guitar, like a ukulele um, that is used to, to play um, this really great uh, rhythm. It's called uh, Son Jarocho from Southern Mexico. And so I'm, I just picked it up and so I've been learning and it's such a wonderful community space. Um, I really love it. Every Friday, I love to bring in people from across the city of Chicago and learn the stories that they were following this week, the ones that were important to them. And Maria, I want to stay with you. What's the story you want to highlight for CityCast listeners this morning? Yeah, so one of the stories I want to highlight is actually my latest investigation for WBEZ. And it's it's a really good one because, um, you know, Chicago summer is so much about uh, music festivals, blog parties, mm -hmm. and it, it, that's when you really feel the city come alive, right? It's sort of like, it's just a different level of energy and, and you really feel it in the air. And so back in May, I went to a community meeting in which um, folks who live in the North Lawndale community and Little Village were talking about uh, all these music festivals in Douglas Park. And so I had actually attended yeah. Riot Fest. Riot Fest is one of my favorite uh, music festivals to attend to during the summer. And it really made me um, take a notice and really uh, dig into what it means for the city of Chicago to essentially lease out these public parks and, and make them yeah. into concert venues and what happens to the community. And so I spent a few months really investigating that. And what came out of that is essentially a story that showcases how 
community members who live in this area um, often have to forego using the park for almost 47 days during the summer, which if you really think a, a about quarter it. quarter of the summer. Exactly. It's a really long time. And not only that, but also you have, you know, tens of thousands of attendees descending on this very disinvested community, North Lawndale, an over-policed community, and, and, and really understanding that some of these uh, attendees are young and white, and they don't understand how their presence really puts a strain on resources. Resources like mm -hmm. the CTA, we had someone who fell on the tracks during one of the festivals. You know, we I really wanted to document the impact that these festivals have on community, but also who gets to make the decisions. And that became a very Chicago story, right? Where we, mm -hmm. where I analyzed um, the application and, and the process in which these festival promoters are able to get access to these parks and found that while um, the two aldermen from the area, Alderman Cardenas and Alderman, the former Alderman uh, Michael Scott, had essentially um, written letters of support to bring those festivals into the community at the same time that they were getting tens yeah, of thousands of dollars. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, but this is the Chicago, uh, the Chicago way. And so it was really important for me to spend a lot of time with community members and really understand what they were doing in terms of trying to get their voices heard in the process of issuing these permits, but also just the consequences of what it means. Because I don't necessarily think that we think about it or we like to think about it because we do it love those festivals so much. Yeah, it's it's such a an important conversation. I know of a a, a contentious meeting that just happened a few weeks ago, where uh, by city ordinance these large festivals are required to hold a community meeting. I believe about forty five days out from the festival, but at the meeting. You know, they say there was no translator. The individual who was responsible for kind of collaborating with Riot Fest in the community seemed extremely dismissive, downright disrespectful at times during the meeting. And, and when you think about three different festivals coming into a park, even when they're gone, the amount of remediation, the amount of landscaping that has to be done. And so it isn't just surrounding the time of the festival, but throughout the rest of the summer, you see the impacts of having a lyrical lemonade, a heat wave, a riot fest in a public park. Alejandro, did you hear about that that meeting last week, which I think led to an, uh, a representative being fired? Yes, I think Kelly Garcia at the Reader was the one who was um, mm -hmm. writing about that meeting. And I, yeah, echo Maria's investigation was, and, and Kelly's uh, continued coverage of that issue has been amazing. Um, I think a lot, when I was listening to Maria's story in particular and reading Kelly's story, I, it made me think a lot about how our communities are so resilient, but also how they're not... Um, victims in a system without doing anything, right? Like a lot of our community members do fight against these injustices. Um, Maria recorded a woman who actually composed a song and went to a um, public uh, parks meeting. Um, the Board of Commissions of the um, Chicago Parks District's meeting to 
explain to them in a way that they may understand maybe a little bit better that she was really opposed to um, this park, uh, the festival at the park. And it really made me think about like who, when we talk about community, who are we talking about, right? Like when the park district says like the community supports these festivals at the park, what community did they interview? Because that community was clearly a lot different than the people who showed up at the meeting a couple of weeks ago and, and the people that Maria interviewed for this story. Maria, what's the balance that we need to draw here? Is it going to be a situation that with that Riot Fest faced seven years ago with Humble Park where eventually they're going to be kicked out of Douglas Park? Or are there things that community members want that Riot Fest can essentially provide? I want to sh- first of all shout out uh, Gilly Garcia from the Chicago Reader, who's been doing a great job covering yeah. this. Great friend of the show. Shout out to Kelly. So much of the narrative that comes from, you know, most media outlets is is essentially here's a problem, and 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 here are the disparities, and that's it. We often overlook the the role that community members play in in the ways in which they're fighting to get a voice or to get a seat at the table and i think that community members from una de la villita uh, they have been fighting against riot fest since the get-go since 2015 when it first arrived they were paying attention to what was happening in, in humble park and those community members in Humble Park actually even wrote about their struggle to get the festival out of their neighborhood, right? And so these aren't community members who are sitting back and waiting for, for things to happen to them. We do see a lot of community members even talking about how one of the aldermen, Alderman um, uh, Cardenas, uh, treated uh, Douglas Park residents and uh, McKinley Park residents differently, right? So there was a proposal mm-hmm. to have a, a music festival in McKinley a Park. tone festival in McKinley Park. And yeah. all of a sudden, you know, the, the alderman is listening to, to this community. And so the community members from Douglas Park are like, well, what about us? Moving from Douglas Park to Douglas over with Bronzeville. Alejandra, your story is something that uh, the, the Summer Fellows of our City Bureau worked on. Can you talk about it? Yes. So um, the city of Chicago uh, is um, contributing to the or funding the development of something called equitable transit oriented development. Um, and really what that means is just development near public transportation. The first one in Bronzeville is at 43rd Green. Um, and the fellows... Mm-hmm. And this is the first ever transit-oriented development coming to Bronzeville, yes, correct? Yes, the first ever coming to Bronzeville. It's a 10-story building that will have a mix of affordable housing units and uh, market rate units, and it's going to have some retail uh, at the street level. And really, uh, the developers and city officials hope that it will become an anchor of development in that area of Bronzeville. Um, obviously, the residents um, are conflicted, right? Some of them feel really excited that finally there's some development coming to their community, but also worrying about what that means for them, right? Like we are in Bronzeville, a community that used to have uh, a number of public housing units. A lot of those developments came 
down uh, with the plan of transformation, and a lot of those residents were displaced. And so there, there's a history of displacing, especially black residents from Bronzeville. There is a new wave of gentrification here, um, and a lot of people wonder, well, is this going? To, are these developments for me or to kick me out of my community? The City Bureau uh, fellows also put out a resource guide that talks about, you know, what you can do if you're suffering from housing insecurity, how to get in on the affordable housing fight. Why is this so important that we not hit the snooze button when we're looking at development in our in our south and west side neighborhoods? Yeah, I mean, information is power, right? And a lot of the times when we speak with community members, um, which are always at the center of our stories, right? Before we even start digging, we go and talk to the community about the kind of questions that they have. Um, and a lot of the community members wanted to know, well, how do I own a home? Um, how do I join the fight for affordable housing? Are there any other ways in which I can figure out how to live affordably in the city? So we, in the research guide, you had information about a nonprofit that offers um, trainings and workshops on how to buy affordable homes. And also there is uh, another organization that focuses on uh, co-ops, right, where um, members get together to either buy uh, a building and split it up equally into with different people. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. You know, when we look at neighborhoods like the ones you all live in, McKinley Park, Pilsen, or the ones we've talked about, Bronzeville, Douglas Park, they're not just looking at affordable housing crisis. They're not just looking about a crisis of resources in terms of public parks. But Maria, you want to follow up on a story on another crisis that's happening in our neighborhoods. I want to highlight this story because, um, you know, we're still in the summer and usually summer brings uh, a lot more air pollution to the city of Chicago. And it is not, you know, air is something that we all need, but it's the quality of air really varies from neighborhood to neighborhood. And so earlier this year, um, I collaborated with um, a team of reporters from the Sun-Times and Mock Rock Chicago uh, to analyze data that was collected by uh, private sensors that were installed by Microsoft. And so we have a really unique look at air quality across the city. And I actually spent quite a bit of time in Little Village reporting on poor air quality there because uh, the, the neighborhood is also just right next to a um, 
an industrial corridor, what we measured was uh, particulate matter 2.5, which are tiny uh, particles that come from uh, diesel trucks or other polluters. And if they get embedded into your lungs, you can have like um, heart illnesses, lung illnesses, and other things. And so when we talk about air quality, the air quality in black and brown neighborhoods in the city of Chicago is much, much worse than wider areas. But we see this uh, fight just kind of become cyclical, where, for example, in Little Village, um, community members fought for decades to get uh, the coal plant out of the city. But then it was replaced by a huge, massive uh, target warehouse that has a lot of uh, diesel trucks moving in and out of the neighborhood, creating more pollution. There's a map you can even look at and just check in now. If you look at 36th and Polina, the air quality is significantly worse than what we see in West Rogers Park. When you see this, you know, replacement of one with another, you know, how can we continue to sustain this fight when it seems that the city is just like, you know, going to find a new place or a new neighborhood to put the you know, the, the coal plant or a new neighborhood to move the, the, the metal scrapper. I think that the issue really comes around um, this environmental racism that we keep talking about, right? I, I feel like a lot of times when, when we report on these issues around um, racism, housing discrimination, um, environmental racism, and all, all of these things, um, there seems to be an emphasis on the problem, and that is important, right? Highlighting the problem is important, but I think it's really, really important to highlight the policies that created that problem because it's not like it, the problems just appeared. The problems were created by politicians who, you know, maybe they intended this to be the consequence or maybe it wasn't the intended consequence, but nevertheless, it, it happened. So we must address where the decisions are made. When Maria was speaking, it made me think about like the reason why we have industrial, uh, they're called manufacturing, the plant manufacturing districts in the city. Harold Washington actually wanted to uh, protect industry in the city of Chicago because it was a huge source for jobs, right? So at the time when the plant manufacturing districts were created, they were created to retain some of those blue collar jobs when the city was seeing an increase in white collar jobs. Fast forward to today, what you are seeing is that a lot of the plant manufacturing districts that were all over the city, including in the north side, well, the north side plant manufacturing districts are coming down, right? Like the link uh, in. Uh, Lincoln Yards, right? Like um, the Goose Island used to be all manufacturing. That means that a lot of the times the companies end up in the areas where there is still a plant manufacturing district, and that is in the south and the west side of the city. You can see that the, the pollution mm -hmm. mirrors how the city is, the segregation of the city. Most of the pollution this morning was in the south and the west sides of the city, and the miners in the north side were almost clear. Every episode, every week, we like to leave listeners with some good news to get them through the weekend, to get them through the day. Maria, what's your some good news that you want to share with CityCast today? Yesterday, I went to a meditation and sound bath uh, at El Paseo mm. Garden. 
Yes, exactly. Um, and it was so beautiful. I try and I've been going for a few years now, um, having that community space and the history of it, right? Like it's, it's a community space where there's um, gardens, uh, public gardens, there are bee uh, colonies. Um, there is like a space for people to do healing practices, yoga, like all kinds of different things. But the really cool thing about that space is that it was created by community. Um, it was turned from like a toxic site to, to an area where like people can enjoy it. It's beautiful. It's got a huge, like colorful mural and it's just so peaceful. And, um, you know, I was at this, um, event last night and it was just really wonderful to see a mixture of like the new Pilsen residents, like mostly white, um, white collar folks with, you know, the abuelitos and like folks who grew up and are from Pilsen who have been here mm -hmm. forever. So it's, it was, it's such a wonderful space. I'm gonna have to come pull up on the El Paseo community garden and uh, the curious city piece that, that covers it. We'll drop a link in the show notes to that. It was wonderful uh, to listen to any space that you could find within the city that feels like a little getaway it is precious, needs to be protected, needs to be expanded because, you know, whether you're sitting in a community garden or you walk 50 feet into a, a nature sanctuary, it just reminds you how much is available inside of Chicago and, and, and protecting that has to be one of our highest priorities. Uh, Alejandro, what is your some good news to get the people through the weekend? Well, so this is coming up, um, the um, obviously guaranteed income program, the pilot at the city of Chicago is closed. People are already receiving their money, but at the county level, at the city level is closed, at the county level, it will open in the fall. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are struggling to pay their bills. That's like definitely something that would really help a lot of people. The county hopes to help 3,200 people um, and they will provide $500 per month for 24 months. So keeping an eye out for when applications do open. Also, um, there's a Westside nonprofit that has a guaranteed income program specifically for people who have been incarcerated. That pilot will have 100 spots open in the fall and they will provide $500 per month for 18 months. Um, so uh, if you want to learn more about guaranteed income, the fellows also had a whole package on guaranteed income um, that they published uh, last week. Mm -hmm. And when you say guaranteed income, we mean like monthly checks with like no strings attached. Yes. Thank you for that. Yes. It's essentially cash assistance, $500 in cash, and you can spend it for whatever you want. Uh, most people are, we know from research that a lot of people do spend that in groceries, especially like daycare, uh, keep paying bills that they haven't been able to pay before. Even $500 a month is can be you know, a, you know, a game changer for a family. Um, so, so I'm so glad you're drawing more and more attention to that. Uh, my some good news. I was feeling good today. Sunk it all three times. Usually I try to give it a break after a while, but today I was on some good news, good, good news. I'm playing with some different melodies. I'm still working on it. Give me some time, y'all. Give me some time. Uh, but mine is the Black and Brown Unity concert uh, put on by Healthy Hood Chicago. Um, I had a great time last year going out to it. Um, it it's over on 
on the west side of the city. Uh, we'll drop some links, but they always have great DJs out there. There's food. There's usually live murals. The homie Heavy Crown is going to be performing again. Um, and this concert was birthed out of uh, folks like Tanya, uh, Heavy Crowns, Trap House Chicago coming together because during the pandemic, there was such a uh, intent from sort of media outlets and even some of the things we saw on the ground to sort of drive a wedge between black and brown communities in Chicago. Uh, and so Healthy Hood came together to try to put on this this beautiful concert that brings in bachata, that brings in rap music, that brings in breakdance and a muralist, uh, really to just take over their public park um, f for a day. Uh, we'll drop some information in you uh, for the show notes on how you can apply for the Cook County pilot program. You definitely need to go check out the El Paseo Community Garden. Uh, and also, if you got some time on Saturday, head over the, uh, to the Black and Brown Unity concert uh, in Pilsen. Uh, I want to thank Alejandra and Maria for coming on to CityCast Chicago. These Friday lookbacks are only uh, anything because of the people who say yes to us throughout the week. So thank y'all for making time for CityCast Chicago. Thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Before I let you go, I hope that you'll make time to come out to Axios Office Hours at the Hideout tonight at 6 to 7.30. Shout out to Monica Ang and Justin Kaufman for having your boy on, but also for being great supporters of CityCast Chicago. If you loved our episode yesterday, our little mini neighborhood guide of Rogers Park, Uptown, and Edgewater, I want you to know that's going to be an ongoing series. If you want to give me a tour of your neighborhood, your favorite spots to attend, the places you volunteer where you kick back, your favorite mural, restaurant, or park, please reach out to us at 773-780-0246. Leave your name, your neighborhood, and the spots that you want to take me. Now, I know what you're thinking. Do you mean community areas? Do you mean neighborhood? You know what? Just tell me the place that you live and we'll go from there. As always, I got to thank the people behind CityCast Chicago. That's lead producer Carrie Shepard, producer Simone Alisea, newsletter writer Sydney Madden, the people on the ones and twos is Sam Thousand, all the kimonos, and Mark Greenberg of the Mayfair Workshop. And my biggest hug, my biggest thank you is for you. Thank you for making CityCast Chicago a part of your daily, your weekly, or your, you know, whenever I'm feeling like your routine, it means a lot to us. I'll talk to you next week. Peace. Before I let you go, before I let you go, can I get a little bit of outro, yeah?